There was a country boy who decided he wanted to go to, to school. And uh, he decided university was the place for him to further his education. So as he went in, he, he was a Christian young man. And he decided that uh, he would take a Bible class. And at the university, well, they happened to have a Bible class there for him. So he signed up for the Bible class. And the first day he got into class, he... Uh, he heard the professor speaking and he could tell by the speaking that the professor was someone who maybe uh, didn't have quite the same beliefs that he did as a uh, as a Christian. And the professor began to speak of how many miracles and things that happened in the Bible were not really miracles. They were just natural phenomenon that those who were writing would have understood as miracles. And he gave several examples and he said, primarily, we can look in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, you see that uh, the Lord turned the Nile River to blood. And he said, more than likely, that was just a a natural phenomenon of of the water turning a reddish tint due to a chemical change within the the water. And uh, scientists have found that this has happened from time to time. And then, of course, that would have led to the frogs leaving. And so this swarming of frogs is just a response to the changes in the, in the chemicals in the, in the Nile River. And, of course, with that thing, you find uh, that if the frogs have left, then, of course, all the gnats are still around. So no, nothing to eat the gnats and the flies. And so there's a great swarm. So you can see how, how all of these things are just natural phenomena. And then he said, well, and and you get to uh, the the next great miracle in the Bible, and that is the crossing of the Red Sea. And and scientists have found that that there's a place in the Red Sea that at a certain time of year they've seen it happen. And and the water would come to about six inches deep in this area. And and you can see that the parting of the Red Sea was just a natural phenomenon. Children of Israel walked through six inches of water, no big deal. And, uh, and country boy, he, he can't stand himself at this point. He says, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And professor looks over at him and says, what are you talking about? I've just explained to you all of the natural phenomena and all of these things that just go to show how these things are just... Not miraculous, just natural phenomenon. He said, Professor, it's a miracle. The Lord drowned the entire Egyptian army in six inches of water. That's a miracle. I thought y'all might enjoy that one. Since we're speaking of the book of Exodus, I don't often start with a joke, y'all. So y'all got to, y'all got to do it. I've spent several hours in study this week, uh, studying through what we've already read. If you're a guest with us today, we're glad you're here. Uh, I don't normally tell lots of funny jokes, so you got, um, you got something a little out of the ordinary today. Uh, but we are walking through the Bible together as a church. We're reading through the Bible chronologically. Uh, we are uh, we're in the book of Exodus, uh, and uh, we have studied many things together of the character of God, and I've tried to equip you as you read to understand principles that are happening uh, and things behind the scenes, maybe that aren't always um, aren't always discussed. 
And uh, a couple of those things that we've hit and uh, we've worked through. Last week we talked specifically about do we owe the Lord something? Is there a sense in which as God delivered his people out of Egyptian slavery and he, he called them to do something. Help me out church. What did he call them to do after the deliverance from Egypt? He called them to have a what? Yeah, a Passover. And he called them to give that lamb, the Paschal lamb, uh, to, and, and a sacrifice on a yearly basis. And that Passover was going to be a reminder. But then he also called them to give the firstborn of all that opens the womb in Israel. And that was an owing that the, the nation of Israel had unto God. Every animal, every human, there was to be a price paid for every firstborn that opened the womb. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. So what we talked about last week. This week we move, we, we move forward. But, but in, in reality we, we're going to have to start by moving, moving backward. And, and I say that because some of the things going on in Exodus are hearkening back to the beginning pages. In fact the beginning page uh, of the Bible. And depending on how what your Bible looks like, but if you if you open back in your Bible or scroll back to Genesis chapter two, I want to lay a foundation this morning of a few things and then take a few passages out of Exodus and explain how they're fitting into a greater picture. And remember, uh, Exodus is a lot further in, in the future. Uh, in fact, Exodus is closer uh, uh, Closer to us than we think. It's really not as far removed from creation uh, as you might think. If you look at the biblical timeline of of the world being 6,000 years old. And then the Exodus being about uh, 4,500-ish years ago. Um, It's still a long time ago. But it may not be as far removed as you think. And it's a long way from Genesis 1-1. Okay? About 2,500 years after that. With that said, God is going to institute uh, some principles, and sometimes we don't always get them. And, and as you read this week, we read through the Ten Commandments. Oftentimes in Scripture, if you don't see it, it's because ours is in English. But if you're reading in Hebrew, you notice that there are ten sentences that, that God speaks regularly. In other words, with the creation narrative, we see a, a, uh, a ten-sentence Creation from God, and oftentimes He speaks in ten. So when we get to the Ten Commandments, which are part of a greater six hundred and thirty-seven, I think, commandments, uh, you see that the ten is referenced as the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. It's not out of the ordinary for the Lord to do that. So back here, and, and I invite you to open to Genesis two. Let's read and and discuss for a few moments. Thus the the heavens and the earth were finished. That was all of chapter 1. God creating and all of the hosts of them. Have you noticed that? When you read, what what does it mean by all of the hosts of them? Well, the, the idea going on there is that God created and he brought order to all of his creation. And if you look at how God made things, he separated the sky And he separated the waters and he created the earth. And then on other days, what did he do to those things? He populated the skies and then he populated the waters and he populated the earth. And there's a very ordered fashion in which God creates things. So when it says that 
the earth and heaven were finished and all of the hosts of them. He's talking about those, those two phases of creation, if you will. Creating space and then populating the space. And I'm using my words carefully this morning because we're going to get into another realm that God has created. And as we talk about God being a spirit, you all understand that, that we believe as Christians and have for ever since Christians were alive or began, were birthed, that we understand that God is a spirit. And all of our catechisms throughout Christian history have, have the truth that God is a spirit. He does not populate the space that he made in the sense of a, he's not regularly in creation itself, but he's also not in something else. And what is that? He's also not in, in time. God is not involved in our time-space creation. Now, I'll get to why that's important, but just know that the Lord created space. He also created time and the, the heavenly bodies, if you will, that govern or regulate that time for us. The days, the nights, the months, the years, and how all that's put together. Now, verse 2. And on the seventh day, this is important. What day was it? Help me out, church. What day was it? The seventh day. God did what? He finished his work that he had done. And he did what? And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God did what else? He, he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because on it, God what? I think Moses wants us to understand Repetition, right? So he rested and he blessed it. Don't get mad. He rested it and he blessed it. You're going to remember that one. I know you are. He rested it and he blessed it that that seventh day. And this is important because uh, it's going to create a principle for us of resting and blessing upon us. Now, also notice that the seventh day, we're going to kind of... Dial in here on the seventh day. The seventh day was a day that the Lord did not. We didn't see a morning and an evening. So it's, it's distinct from the other days. And that God was very clear that and there was morning and there was evening the seventh day. That's how he closed all the days of creation. If you've read it before. If you haven't, I'm sharing that with you. But on the seventh day, we don't get that phrase. Interesting, isn't it? That, that he doesn't uh, give us morning and evening. And, and it, it kind of gives us the hint, if you will, that the seventh day may be different than the other days. And, and a special day. And, and many people, including myself, believe that God in, in the first six days as he's creating and ordering space. The seventh day, God is really showing us how he's ordering time more than space. And I'll get to that because this is a a way in which God is going to institute what we read in Exodus of a weekly special time. God is populating now the calendar or our weekly rhythm of seven days, new week, seven days, new week, seven days, new week. Now, we're on the first day of the week. So remember in, in ancient Hebrew and in the Hebrew culture, their seventh day is sundown the beginning of the day on Friday night to sundown Saturday night and then the first day of the week starts sundown on our Saturday night all right so the end of the week is about 
a culmination of taking what you've done for that week, which is what the Bible calls a, a work, and then culminating with a what, church? A, a rest and blessed day. That seventh day is rest and it blessed. Now, if you remember when we first started this year, something happens in Genesis chapter 3. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? It was the fall. And so as we think about this, this time of blessing, let me draw some of this together. As God has created all that he has, he's built this universe. In six days he worked to create this. And on the seventh day he rested and he blessed all of it. But he didn't end that day. Did he? We have no record of him ending that day. And and I'm going to attempt to show you what I believe is going on there. As God has created this seventh as a time to, to enjoy and understand that a day of rest and of blessing is not merely something that was supposed to, in a sense, supposed to end. But something that was meant to show us how to enjoy what God has given us eternally. And I'm going to show you that how the scripture works that out. So let's talk about rest for a moment because uh, rest is an important thing when we when we think about God resting. And I want to do that by looking in Exodus. So if you will, if your Bible, Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 through 11. Are y'all with me? This is a really, really neat thing that is all through the scripture. So I hope that you guys will see it. And this is a very practical thing because it hits us every seventh day and it will hit us for all eternity, as I hope to to share with you. Exodus chapter 20. This is the first giving of the Ten Commandments. The second uh, record of them is in Deuteronomy 5. But we're going to look at both of those and there there are differences that I want to show you. Exodus 20 verse 8. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. All right. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, that Sabbath day is that Hebrew of Shabbat. It is um, it's a special day, the day of rest and blessed. Verse nine, six days shall you what? Now, now, remember, it's not divorced from the six days, this Shabbat, this this day of rest. It's not on its own. It is tied to an entire unit of of working and resting. And so that's why he says here, part of the command is six days shall you labor. Don't forget that. God has called us to be workers. And that's important as we understand what he's also called us to do on the seventh, on the Shabbat. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a... Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your sons, your daughter, your male servants, your female servants, your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. And then the word, what's the first word of verse 11? Help me out, come on. For, your translation might have, or since, or because. That's an important word. And that word teaches us that There's a reason for what he just told us. 
So in other words, the seventh is here. It's a day that, that you need to treat differently than the six prior. And here's the reason, all right? Have you ever wondered why? Well, now you get to what? Now you get part of the answer here. Four, or for this reason, in six days the Lord made what? Heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, the hosts, right? And rested on the seventh day. Therefore, do what, church? The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So here's what we can look at. Who worked the first six days of creation? God does. Who rested the seventh? God did. What what Moses is giving us here and what uh, ultimately God through Moses is giving us is that we are to model our weekly pattern after what God has given us. And even further, we are to model our lives and even our eternal life through what God has shown to us in creation. He is a model. Notice, like I said, verse 7 says, for or because God has modeled to us how to work and that he brings order out of chaos. Christian, what do we do with our work? What are we supposed to do? I can tell you my personal work. I know Ethan, you can probably relate to this. We work in an industry where people call us because there's problems. Right, Ethan? They send in an email and tech support sees it and goes, oh, no, I can't print. I can't do my work. And so Ethan will say, hey, well, what, what's your problem? What's going on here? So Ethan, will his ultimate goal as an IT support specialist, did I get that right? All right, IT support specialist is to go and find the chaos and bring that chaos back into order. You get it? What a great job you have. You are modeling the first six days of creation. Many of you, sometimes, some people work in healthcare industry. The, the chaos of sickness, let's bring health to people and help people. Some of you work in industry at a plant. We've got raw materials. Let's order them together and be a part of the process of bringing those chemicals to a place where they can help humanity. This is what work is. It's taking chaos, bringing it in order. We're, we're modeling what God has done. Where a lot of us have a problem is understanding that seventh. Because God rested on the seventh day. And, and I think part of that problem is because we don't understand what what rest is. We don't really get that concept of what it means to rest. And, and I asked my family last night, in fact, I said, all right, guys, I, I want you all to tell me and define for me what is rest. And some of my family members were like, I'll sleep in. And that means sleeping after 9 a.m. Some of you guys, I know you all don't know what that means, but um, sleeping in is rest. Some of the family members were like, look, sitting on my bed and just enjoying um, my phone. Okay. A, a prominent family member who I trust very much, I think, gave a great answer. Allison gave this great answer. She said, rest is doing what I enjoy. It's not, merely, not necessarily sitting down or sleeping. It might be. But it's not merely that. It's more than that. It's doing what I enjoy. 
And look, I can truly attest to that. Y'all know I love to run. Man, when I'm running, I'm resting. It's a time for me to, uh, to enjoy my body and challenging my body to reach new limits or to overcome obstacles and such. Resting is more than, and it's very different than sometimes we can think of laziness. Resting is not being lazy. Resting is a, it's a, it's something that is coupled with work that allows you to have a tandem of things working together to produce in us what God has modeled to us. And so I want to encourage each of you as you think about your week in general. Are you working? It's part of the command, at least in the Ten Commandments of what's modeled to us. Are you resting and enjoying the fruit of your labor? How many of you have uh, ever been part of building a house or a process of building a house? Okay, if you have been, you, you can understand this concept. You spend a lot of time gathering materials or even remodeling in your house. You gather all these materials, you tear everything up, it's a mess, there's stuff everywhere. And then you work for days, weeks, months, sometimes even years, Jeff, right? Getting everything together, or what seems like years. And then you finish. And what do you do when you finish the house? Man, you live in it, right? Probably in reality, some of you keep working on it is what you do. But what are you supposed to do? In principle, you live in it. Dennis, you're supposed to finish all that stuff at some point. At some point. You live in it. You enjoy the fruit of your labor, right? You didn't, you didn't work on the house to keep working on the house. You worked on the house so you could enjoy the house and live in it and do family and, and live life and worship and play and rest and work and all the stuff you do in your house. That's why you did it. The Lord built a house. It's just a lot bigger than the ones you and I built. It's, it's called the universe. And on the seventh day, he rested to enjoy his people and the communion that he had with his people. And he's given a time and a season for that to happen. And remember, even before the fall, they were working the garden. Work was a part of the good pre-fallen garden. So work is not the problem. It was a greater work that he gave. Now, let me, let me get back to, to my notes here. Remember when he created things in the first six days, God described his creation as something. What did he describe it as? One word. He described it as, as good. And then he created man. And what did he describe man as? Very good. It's very good. Oh, this is very good. God delighted in what he made. And this is a biblical truth that we see. The Lord takes joy in what he's made. In the little things to the ants that crawl. In the big things in the giraffes that make no noise, but they can eat from the highest trees. God delights in that. But God delights, the Bible says, when his people walk in obedience and in faith and bear fruit. And so you and I are part of God's delight. All right, let's get to Deuteronomy 5. It is a blessing. 
I missed that part. I've got to get moving. But in his blessing of the seventh day, he also gave us opportunities to enjoy what God has made. He blessed it that we might enjoy and give God joy. There's so much here. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Let's begin there. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day. Now, this is the command. Observe the Shabbat to keep it holy. Holy, set apart, different than your other six days, right? As the Lord God commanded you, six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Shabbat to the Lord, your God. In other words, you owe him. In one sense here, it's to the Lord. It's a rest to the Lord. Now, what does that mean? How do we rest to the Lord? I'm glad you asked. Let's keep reading. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any of the livestock, or the sojourner that's within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So the rest is, it's a universal thing here. Got it? It's work and it's rest for everyone. You shall remember that you were, ah, we got a new wrinkle here, don't we? You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a what? Say it again, Stevie. Say it really loudly. With a mighty hand. He brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, i got two words for you if you like taking notes. Uh, other than rest and blessed. Um, in the Exodus version of the Ten Commandments, it is shown that the, 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 the day of rest, the Sabbath, is a model for us. God did it this way, therefore we model after God. Okay? I got that? So the, the Exodus one is a model of our week and of our lives and the way that we work and rest. God did it this way, therefore we do. The Deuteronomy 5 tends to, or it seems to focus a little differently than the model. It, it doesn't ignore that by any means. But it adds a layer here at the end with the, 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 the flight from Egypt. And that God is mighty. So the first section we have, God models it. The second one is God is mighty. And when you think about God being mighty and displaying what this Sabbath is, he's displaying and proclaiming his might. That God is, is above all earthly powers and he has the ability to, and, and the desire to do things that show his strength. Now, what does that mean? Why is that significant? Well, there's two things that I've, that I've come up with. I'm sure there are many, many more. But the two things that I, I think of in this is, pardon me. The two things that God is showing here is, is first, as he is mighty, the scripture describes the Lord as one who is mighty to do something. Oh, y'all know that. That God is mighty to save. The Shabbat is, is a reminder to us that God is the one who did the mighty work. That God is the one who did it in creation. That God is the one who did it. In the flight from Egypt. And the Lord is the one who can deliver from slavery. Now if you're here and you're not a Christian this morning. We're glad that you're here. 
Certainly. We're glad that you're hearing all of this. And you can see Christians proclaim their love for their God. But one of the things that every Christian does is he recognizes that there is a need for salvation from a slavery that we as Christians were once a part of. And that slavery is a slavery to sin. It wasn't to a Pharaoh. Or rather it was Pharaoh is a personified version of sin that is still mastering everyone today from birth until conversion into Christianity. And what I mean by that is the the self-centered, me-centered lifestyle and manner of our lives is, is something that we cannot get rid of. It is in our nature. It is who we are. Like a monkey climbs trees, we are self-centered. But at some point, we must recognize that that slavery has and that dominion over us is wrong and that we need to be delivered from that slavery. And just as the Lord delivered a nation from Egypt by a mighty work of his hand, he also offers deliverance from the slavery of sin by his mighty right hand through his son. Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So if you're not a believer today, I I invite you to understand that that the Bible speaks of the wages of that dominion of sin being death and eternal damnation. In a place the Bible calls hell. But that he offers to all who will receive it redemption from that and salvation in Christ Jesus the Lord. The lamb that died, who was buried and rose again, who bled To purchase my pardon and your Christian, your pardon, and to all who would believe. Praise the Lord. That is the message we as Christians love. Now, as a Christian, if you are a Christian, you understand that 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 doesn't just happen and we walk away from that experience. It is that is the beginning of a new way of orienting our life, right? And now we see what God has commanded us. So then we start to walk in obedience to what God has commanded us. That's the new life. And we're going to get to that. Oh, I hope. God's mighty hand every seventh day. Help me out, church. Every seventh day we're supposed to do what? We're supposed to rest. Now the temptation for us. What about God being mighty is involved in this? Let Let me give you this. There is a, when we rest... When we do the things that we enjoy and that bring God joy, that is a time for most of us in most circumstances that we are not earning a living. Not to say that we can't enjoy our job. I'm not saying that. But oftentimes when we are resting, we are not doing what earns us a wage to support our life or to support our household or however your house works. You're doing something just for the pure enjoyment factor of it in that rest. The temptation for some is to not take that time and to continue to work, 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 work. And you saw it this week when bread from heaven came down. Do you remember the commandment? Six days you gather the bread from heaven, the manna. You gather the bread from heaven. And what do you do on the seventh? You rest. You don't gather the bread from heaven. Why? Because on the seventh day of every week, you are proving that you trust God to provide for you in that day. 
You trust that God is mighty enough where I don't, I've put in my six days of work. God is mighty to provide the seventh. Uh, fast food, right? Chick-fil-A. You work there. Many of y'all have eaten there. What's the worst part of Chick-fil-A? Pickles. Pickles. Good answer. Not what I was going for, but you might be, just be right. It's that they're closed on Sunday. They, they have proven this. Hobby Lobby, closed on Sunday. These places have said, we're going to trust God. We're going to work hard our six days and do our very best, and then the seventh, we rest. We trust mighty, God's mighty right hand that he will do it. Christian, are you trusting in God's mighty right hand? That's the second principle of rest. Trust in God's mighty right hand. You've put in your work. You've done what God's called you to do. Six days you labored. Trust in God's mighty right hand. Enjoy what God has given you and do it to his glory and to his delight. All right. All right. I've got one. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to keep preaching for a minute. Y'all with me? All right. This is Exodus is so rich in this principle of rest. Exodus 24, and I'm going to go quickly. Exodus 24, beginning of verse 12. Watch this. So good. Exodus 24, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I might give you the tablets of stone and the law with which I've and the commandments which I've written for their instruction. God delivers them from Egypt. He drowns the, the Egyptian army in six inches of water. And then, that's a joke, right? <laughs> then he moves them on and God's going to, he calls Moses up the mountain. I want to communicate to you the, the law. Watch how he does it. Verse 13. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up the mountain. Verse 14. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you, which may or may not be a good thing. We'll find out. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. Y'all got it? Watch what happens next. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it. Oh, look at there. The cloud covered it for how long? For six days. That's interesting, isn't it? It is. It's pretty interesting. And on the seventh. That's pretty neat. What happens on the seventh, y'all? He calls out of Moses. Out of the cloud. He fellowships with Moses. The seventh, God fellowships with his people. You got it? That sounds a whole lot like what we read in Genesis, doesn't it? Let me give you another one. Exodus 14. This one's a little bit earlier. This is neat. No. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going to show this to you. I'll show you really quickly. Exodus 14, 19. Then the angel of God who was before them. Now, this is the angel of God. He's going to come between the army of Israel, of Egypt, and the people of Israel. Angel of the Lord plops right between them to stop the army from killing the people. Y'all with me? Y'all got it? All right. The angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it was leading them. Then he comes and goes to the tail of the people. 
coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and there was darkness. The Hebrew here, as I've studied, is, is kind of hard. But you have a cloud and you have darkness. And then the next sentence, and it lit up the night with one coming near the other all night. So what's going on here? Well, the angel of the Lord has come and he stood between. And on one side of him, there's this darkness. Guess which side the, the darkness is on? The side of, of the Egyptian army. On the other side, there's what? There's light. Now, this is interesting. Darkness, light, that sounds a whole lot like going back to Genesis chapter 1, doesn't it? And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind. Only six inches were left, y'all. And all night he made the, the sea dry land. Oh, well, there's that. Uh, and the waters were divided. Now, here's a, here's a neat thing to think about. I told you earlier that ten statements brought all of chaos into what? Order. Ten statements. Right? Ten statements brought chaos into order. Then we get to this point where the angel of the Lord stands between Egypt and the people of Israel. And what has God done in ten steps to Egypt? He's brought them from what? Y'all can do this. He's brought them from great order and being the greatest nation in that area in the world. To a darkness in which Pharaoh says, what has happened to my country? And soon will die. So you see that God has decreated Egypt in this sense. And then God brings light to Israel. The darkness is all devolved into darkness. Angel of the Lord, now we have light. And we have a new nation that's beginning as God's people to live under his ten new statements of law given to them that we just read about. And that God is creating a people now where we had a creation in Genesis. Now we have a new creation coming through the birth canal, if you will. As many commentators see it. Through the Red Sea. In being birthed. And if you've seen uh, the... Oh, what's that Charlton Heston? Ten Commandments movie where they come out of the Red Sea. That's, that's the image that God is birthing a new nation of God's people to enjoy. Heading where, church? Heading where? To the promised land. Now, let me close with this. Oh, man. Oh. All right. Revelation 22. This is the end. God has birthed this nation. He's leading them to the promised land. Ultimately, that's where God wants them Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Not only, before I read that, not only does the Lord want, giving this picture of a birth of his people heading to a promised land, he's given us a new covenant in Christ Jesus the Lord. His death, burial, resurrection has birthed another new people. The old covenant is over. He's birthed a new covenant people. Remember, this is the covenant, new covenant of my blood which he gave to us in the Last Supper. A new people now have been born. You are a new creation. Paul uses that very language. If you are born again, that, that, that newness of life to Christians, whose ultimate end is the promised land, but, but y'all, the old covenant failed. And they wandered. And that generation didn't make it. The point is this, Christian, 
as Jesus has brought a new creation, a new, a new covenant people, he's going to bring us to the fulfillment in the promised land. Look at this. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. That sounds a whole lot like Genesis 1. With all kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. There's this fellowship now, ultimate fellowship of God's people making it to the promised land. Now, there, there's much more to say. Another cross-reference for you. I'm not going to read it. Hebrews 3, 7 through 14. You can write that one down. How do we sum all of this up? Here's what I say. God has created us for fellowship with Him. He's given us a weekly reminder that we are to rest and enjoy Him. That ultimately, at the end of your life, Christian, you will, in, you will have worked your six and enjoy your seventh for all eternity. Christian, this has been modeled to us from day one, from page one of the Bible. Christian, do your work. Do it well. You are in work phase. Do it. Work hard for the kingdom of God. Invest into the kingdom of God. Sacrifice in the kingdom of God. Your seventh is coming. And you have a foretaste of that. You have an appetizer of that with the spirit of God living in us today. Empowering us to do that work. But Christian, do the kingdom work God has called us to do. Church, may we do passion play work. And fall outreach work. And Sunday school work. And worship service work. And music ministry work. And all of the ladies ministry, men's ministry. May we do all the work that God has given to us. And may we look and say our seventh is coming. Our ultimate enjoyment. It's coming. It's coming. And I'll close with this phrase from the Westminster Catechism. And the question is this. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief purpose of man? And I think many of you in this room could answer that, including many of you who are under the age of 10. What is the chief end of man? Can somebody help me out? To glorify God and and enjoy Him forever. Rest in that great enjoyment of God. Let's pray together. Father, may we enjoy you and the rest that you've given us. May we enjoy what you have made, how you've made it. And Father, may you give us great joy in knowing you and worshiping you and fellowshipping with you each and every cycle of our lives. Lord, give us joy ultimately in the spirit of Christ in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.